All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca Podcast episode. But uh, today's going to be a little bit unusual. The, the tables have been turned. Um, instead of me being the interviewer, I get to be the interviewee. And my new friend, Shanae Gooding, is here with me. We actually had Shanae on the, the podcast not very long ago. By the time this episode airs, you'll likely have heard her episode as well. If you haven't, make sure to go listen uh, but Shanae, thanks for, I, I guess you kind of suggested the idea, right? We were just talking after the show the other day. Yeah, we were just talking and I'm I'm curious about some of the things that I don't know about Nathan and, um, you know, the man behind the Boca podcast. And so we were just talking casually and it was just like, hey, how about we turn the tables a little bit, ask you some questions. Well, yeah. And, and on top of that, and I have to say this again, because I, I think I, after we finished recording, I complimented you for your communication style. Our conversation just flowed. It was easy. Uh, and, and you're such a great communicator, which, you know, I, we have a lot of talented photographers in, in the photography industry um, that in some cases are actually put up front and center on stage and conferences and workshops and that kind of thing. Um, teaching or speaking or sharing ideas isn't necessarily their, their strength. Photography is maybe more their strength, but you seem to have both talents. You're, you're a great communicator and that just makes my job easier. So it, the conversation flowed so that when the idea that maybe the, the tables would be turned and you would interview me, that came up, it was like, oh yeah, th- this could be super fun. So <laughs> um, that being said, I'm going to stop rambling and I want to let you just kind of take it from here. Cool. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity, Nathan. I mean, this is this is so enjoyable um, just speaking with you like this because it was it was such a pleasure to be featured on your podcast. So just to start, can you tell us the why behind the podcast? Like, how did it come to be? How did the Boca podcast come to be? Hmm. Yeah, this. Okay. So, and by the way, for everybody listening in, I I haven't seen the outline of questions ahead of time. So this is going to be a total surprise and we're just going to have fun conversation. I I love this actually. Uh, So the podcast, so a a few years ago, we started it back in 2016 and there were two or three primary reasons behind starting it. One was connection. I just love connecting with people. I love having conversation. And uh, so that was kind of really one of the main reasons I wanted to connect with the industry and in a, in a way kind of reconnect with the industry. I had gone through some things personally and through that kind of pulled back from the industry and hadn't been having as many conversations with the industry. And so this was an opportunity to reconnect. So that, that was number one. Um, two, certainly I wanted the opportunity to be able to create content for the sake of my brand or brands. And at the time, bl- blogging uh, was super commonplace. You kind of heard it and saw it everywhere. You, know, you need to blog uh, content for the sake of sharing valuable content as a lead magnet, basically. Well, everybody was doing that. I didn't want to do the exact same thing everybody else was doing. And at the time, podcasting was kind of slowly becoming more popular, but it wasn't what it is now in 2021. This is back in 2016. So I saw the podcast as a means to an end and that I could create content uh, in a different format than most were creating at that time. And so that was kind of the other process. It create content. Ultimately, it could be a soft sell for photographers edit. Uh, and for our listeners, you know that I, I very rarely actually talk about photographers edit. I, I don't want this to become a commercial and off-putting as a result, but we'll still bring it up here and there. And we certainly talk about the significance of outsourcing and time management. And uh, And then at the end of the day, and really at this point, this is kind of front and center for me and number one priority. It's it's about adding value. I love having conversation, but I don't want to, you know, we all have this this easy access to podcasts 
and a million other types of content now on our phone. We're constantly consuming it, myself included. And I don't want to be, I guess, a part of the noise, uh, if you will. I want to make sure that if I'm going to create content and I'm going to talk, that at the end of the day, if somebody listens into that content, they walk away with something valuable, actionable. It's not necessarily going to be earth-shattering information that they've not heard before, but it's going to be practical. It's going to be actionable and ultimately, as a result, valuable to their personal life and to their business. So those are kind of the three big ideas behind it. Well, you know, that you explain that so well, and I think that is the strength of the Boca podcast because it is actionable it's practical, you know, you're connecting to people and you are adding value, value, you know? So I I think you're accomplishing that and, and kudos to you for being consistent about it because that's difficult to do as well. You know, you might start, you know, let's say you're episode 20. So you've had a few under your belt and maybe by episode 50, it kind of changes completely. But I, I feel that there's been a consistency um, with the Boca podcast. So, so kudos to you for, for that. Seriously. Thank you. That's very kind of you. And you, know, you mentioned consistency. That's a, honestly, it's been a weakness of mine personally and professionally. And so really? it, yeah, on, it, it has on different levels. We can get into it if you want, but when it, when I, what really kind of gave me the kick in the pants, if you will, was Gary Vaynerchuk, who mm-hmm. is you know beyond consistent and, and certainly the, the volume at which he creates content is just kind of mind boggling. But I, I, because I was listening to his content, um, I was ultimately inspired to step it up a notch or five uh, as, <laughs> as far as the way that I was, I guess, producing in this context, certainly producing content, but in general, the way that I was um, ultimately running my brand or brands, my companies. And so we had actually started a podcast previously and it had kind of fallen off and, and there were reasons for that, but ultimately it, it didn't really go anywhere. This time around, I got started, but ultimately Gary's uh, message about consistency and follow through and, and, and ultimately pushing um, was impetus for me to say, all right, you know what? I need to, I need to step up my game and I need to show up and we need to do this consistently. And so on average, we, we put out two episodes a week during COVID uh, within the span of something like three or four months, we did about a hundred episodes. It was just like crazy amounts of content. But I, what I love about it is that we have the opportunity certainly to add value and to do so in a little bit of a different format too, because you know most podcasts, or many I should say podcasts, tend to invite the so-called celebrities of whatever right. the industry is onto the show. We've got a different direction with that, and, and certainly intentionally, to just have conversation. If somebody reaches out to me, they don't have to have been in the industry for you know, 15 years, 20 years in order to have a conversation on the podcast, if they have something to share that could be of value to the industry, then let's have the conversation. It's kind of my thought process. And it's challenged me as an interviewer, but I think it's it's enabled us to be able to create content that's different in that way. You know what, that that's the other nail on the head. You know, it, that's what makes the Boca podcast and indirectly you very relatable because you are allowing um, or you're having these conversations with with people that, hey, I may not know their name or like, oh, yeah, maybe I've heard of them or, you know, and everyone has their specialty and their niche or niche and um, they're offering value in that way. And I think that is something that's very different. And that's something I definitely appreciate because sometimes, you know, with with these podcasts, I consume a lot of podcasts myself. And sometimes when the celebrity is featured on a podcast, 
I'm actually not so inclined to listen it, believe it or not. It's like, okay. uh, you know, so I, that's, um, so that's, that's interesting. You talked about Gary, is he a virtual or actual mentor of yours? And if not, who is a mentor of yours? Hmm. I, I don't actually have mentors. I, I'd be I'd be super lucky if if Gary was a mentor. I've I've seen him <laughs> at, at a conference once in person. Uh, you know, speaking of consistency, what you get virtually is what you get in person. Um, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. to to actually have experienced that. Uh, but no, I mean what I've what I've gotten from him has been through his podcast, his his YouTube channel. I've read I think at least one of his books. There is I don't want the lifestyle that Gary has, frankly. I you know, but the idea of working 60 80 hours a week, only seeing your family on the weekends, it, that's that's not that's certainly not my value set. It's not what I'm ultimately trying to achieve uh, or or willing to I guess accept for the sake of my achievements. And yet, he certainly is an example and an inspiration to me not only with consistency, but, and, and dare I say it, say the word that has become so cliche, but hustle, right? To actually put the work in. Because I've been so obsessed with this idea of efficiency and less is more. And how can I only work, you know, just a few hours a day in order to, to run my companies? And I think that's important uh, on multiple levels. But I also tend to be a bit of an extremist. And what I realize is, all right, I need to step up my game a bit. You know, the idea of of only working two or three hours or five hours a day, that's wonderful in, in certain contexts, but there are going to be occasions where you need to step it up and throw down and go hard in the paint. And um, certainly he's been an inspiration in that regard. Okay. And so with podcasting, after so many uh, episodes under your belt, what has been the most unexpected takeaway, um, whether that's the creating process or hosting this podcast? Hmm, probably just learning how to be a better conversationalist. Hmm. You know, one of the things that, and, and this is my, unfortunately, my ego kind of coming out, but one of the things that I've done too much in, in the past is to project my inability to be a good conversationalist, whether in the, you know, in the context of the podcast or just in conversation with somebody else, to project a poor experience in conversation uh, I, I guess to project the fault of that onto the other person that they're boring, they're not good at conversations, they're not showing interest in me, this kind of thing. And while some of that may hold or it may be true, at the end of the day, I, I have taken responsibility for the quality of the conversation. Hmm. Um, if the conversation is boring, then I'm going to say I'm being boring. If the conversation isn't flowing well, I'm going to take responsibility for not creating an environment in which it can flow. And so on and so forth. Um, so it's challenged me to be a better conversationalist, and and I have a lot of work to still do in that regard. But that's been probably the biggest the biggest takeaway for me. Interesting. Well, you know, conversation is an art, they say. So it, it, it I don't think it comes that naturally to a lot of people. So let's can we back up a little bit because this may provide insight as well. Can you tell us about you as a kid? And then lead us up into who you are now as an adult. You know, you're a father, partner, partner, business owner. So how are you as a kid and, and how has that transcended and transcended into who you are as an adult? Hmm. So when you say how I am as a kid, personality wise or my interests or what, what are you what are you thinking about? Well, you know, I guess you can interpret that how you see fit, because what comes to mind first is probably how you're really thinking of yourself as a kid. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just interested in, in how you would um, not necessarily describe yourself, but just about Nathan as a kid. 
So that could be personality. That could be interest. That could okay. be what you got into. <laughs> what yeah, I got up to, into. Up to your interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think one of the, the biggest, one of the things that's affected me the most dramatically, it certainly affected me as a kid and, as a, and carried over into my adulthood was my dad was, my dad was and, and is, he's, he's kind of softened um, over the years, but he is very much a perfectionist. And so the way that he parented, the way that he taught was, was quite extreme. It was black and white, if you will. And that, and he's super, super, I mean, to this day, just extremely disciplined individual. And I learned a lot from that, but simultaneously I kind of took away this extreme mentality and, you know, it's all or nothing. It's black and white, it's right or wrong. And so I, I, in, in a, I guess ultimately because I had a desire to connect with him and to, to make him happy, um, I, I strove for that, that so-called perfection as a, as a child, I, I hit adulthood and was out on my own and I had to learn kind of the hard way and have continued to learn, frankly, that the world doesn't work that way. It's not so, right. so simple. And um, so that's been a, a massive learning curve. And, and I know that's kind of a random direction to go. But when, when I think about my childhood and how that translates to where I am and who I am now, that's been the biggest challenge probably. And uh, it's affected my life in various ways. And I'm continuing to try to, to kind of take a step back um, to, yeah. be, to set ego aside, to, to learn or continue to learn to, to keep an open mind. Um, and, and also, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, and, and I even kind of push back on this because I hear our culture talk about it so much, uh, I think to a fault, but to, to be gracious to myself, uh, at least mm-hmm. to an extent. I, I think there's something to be said for pushing ourselves, and, and I tend to do that quite a bit. I'm, I'm hard on myself, um, and, and I've certainly been, I, I've certainly pushed my kids as well. Uh, but what I don't want to happen and certainly in the context of, of me as a parent, my, my son is in college, now he's a freshman in college, my daughter is a sophomore. I, I want to make sure that I set high standards for them, but I don't want our relationship to get compromised in the process. I don't want them to walk away feeling like it was all about you know what you do uh, versus how loved they felt um, mm-hmm. being being with me as a dad. So uh, that's been that's been a massive challenge that, that probably just opened up a huge can of worms. <laughs> Maybe you have other no. questions. Uh, you know, this is interesting because we go through life collecting lessons and there's this Eastern proverb. Um, I'm just going to paraphrase cause I, I do not know it sure. um, verbatim, but it's, it's something like um, you will continue to receive the same lesson until it is learned. And, you know, mm. so you're talking about, you know, the, these things that, that you've learned, you've had to learn and some things that you've had to unlearn. And that is, that's a really, really, that's an interesting thing to have to navigate, you know, through adulthood. Yeah. And, and I think it ultimately, and it, it's interesting you say that because it, it's, it's kind of, I guess when you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that really does happen. Like over and over and over and over again, I'm faced with these situations where I have to confront um, my, uh, I guess the way that that my mind was formed as a child mm-hmm. and, and in the environment that I was brought up in, I have to now confront that and kind of undo and unwind some of that for the sake of being a better human being. And, right. And and I am faced on an ongoing basis uh, with the challenge to because so much of it is kind of tied to it, it's tied to ego, but it's also tied to misunderstanding. I, th- I think as well. That's probably a much deeper topic, but I have to set ego aside, keep an open mind. 
be willing to, to say I'm sorry, um, because I know that I can, in this, this effort to be better constantly, uh, and with a high expectation for myself, I know that I tend to be hard uh, at times on others as well. And so I have to go to them and, and, and be willing to say, hey, you know what, I, I communicated too harshly there, or I came off in the wrong way. This is, this is what I was trying to do, but I didn't handle it very well. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I can do better. Mm. So I, I'm working at it. <laughs> right, right, right. It, it is a work in progress, aren't we all? <laughs> so while we're kind of on this topic, um, if you could kind of summarize maybe some of the biggest lessons that you've learned, you know, as, as a father or as a business owner, a photographer, you know, the, you hear that kind of cliche question sometimes, like what, what would your, what would a billboard say? Uh, Tim Ferriss, I think, kind of popularized this on his podcast. Uh, if you had a, if you could put anything you wanted on a billboard, um, what, what would that thing say? What, what would that billboard say? And, and in my mind, it's, it's this very simple phrase, it's what you make of it. We have the ability yeah. to, to choose how we frame a situation. We can, and, and maybe you and I talked about this, but I actually have, have two tattoos, uh, one on my right, the inside of my right arm and one on the inside of my left arm, kind of near my wrist. The one on my right arm is, is choice. So we have that, the ability to choose, to make a choice about how we frame something or put another way, uh, the belief or a set of beliefs that we develop around that particular idea or that experience. So I have choice on my right arm, belief on my left arm. In Japanese, it's in kanji, the Japanese kanji. So in, in Japanese, it's pronounced sentaku, that's choice. And then kakushin is belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's what we make of it. We have the ability to choose the what what we believe about that particular thing or that scenario or that experience. We can frame it uh, the way that we want to and then choose to act accordingly. Uh, rather than being in this kind of reactive state, which... Unfortunately, I think in our culture has become kind of prevalent, right? It's, it's kind of blaming it on this situation or blaming it on that person or that group of people versus taking ownership for the things that we can control and, uh, for lack of a better phrase, making the best of it. And, and that is, that's kind of the mantra that, that sits in my head and occasionally I have to kind of remind myself of, it is what I make of it. Um, I, can, I can react to this and let my emotions take me away because I'm actually a very highly emotional person. Uh, I can get carried away with that, or I can acknowledge it. I certainly can feel in the moment, but then I can choose how I move forward from there, and and I can choose to be proactive. Uh, so that that's probably the the biggest idea that that um, I, I've learned and continue to learn. So, when, is there something that you do in the moment? So, let's say. Uh, I don't know, maybe someone pisses you off tremendously or, <laughs> yeah. or, you know, I mean, yeah, let's, let's say something happens. What do you do in that literal moment to, you know, to remind yourself about your choice and your belief? Because I, I think it's an interesting point about not being, you're not on the defense necessarily and be offensive or you're on the offense, not offensive, be on the offense about how you handle situations. So what do you do in that literal moment? I think I've kind of slowly begin to develop a habit of thinking about what it's like to be on the other side of me. And I guess it makes me emotional because I, I think about it. So my, my friend, Sean Austin, who's the CEO over at, at Kiss Books, he, he, he asked this, he talks about this question, uh, particularly in the context of his relationship 
with his wife, his family, I think ultimately, but certainly with those he works with professionally. What's it like to be on the other side of me? Mm. And I know it's not always been pleasant for those on the other side of me. And so at the end of the day, um, I, I kind of, there's this internal battle of, you know, fighting for myself and what I want or what I think is right uh, in that particular instance. But then also knowing what it's like to be on the other side of somebody like that and, and not wanting to be that person, um, wanting to be balanced, wanting to be objective, wanting to be fair and ultimately wanting to be kind. And um, so that, that's been, because I've been kind of thinking about that enough at this point, uh, it's, it's starting to become a habit, I guess. And, and i certainly want to continue to, to make it so, but that's, I'm, I'm faced with that. And I just want, I want, those that are on the other side of me um, to to have a good experience. I mean, you know, in the context of the po- the podcast, it's it's very simply about adding value, and I, I hope experiencing some type of kindness that they hear that in my voice that I that I, I want to that genuinely want to help and to give and ultimately to show care for other people. Um, but it, it can get you know it could be easy in the moment to get carried away with emotion again, and and um, maybe I bring a really great experience to the podcast, but then I'm, I'm stressed out at the end of the day. And, and so I don't engage with my, my, one of my kids as kindly as I should have, or with my girlfriend or, or whatever it might be. Um, so I, I'm working on it, but that's, that's been a, a big challenge. Thank you for sharing that. And, and the reason why I was asking is because this is something that I'm working on myself, you know, just in terms of applying the lessons and also, really trying to magnify the positive things that are going on in my world and making great opportunities and moments for myself, as opposed to ruminating about maybe the two things that didn't go right that day. Mm. Because I, I find that it can be easy to to get sucked into, you know, maybe the, the things that aren't going as great, um, or maybe how someone did maybe offend you or, or whatever it may be, as opposed to just focusing on something else or focusing on the fact that like, hey, they're a human, like I'm a human, maybe they had a bad day, maybe they had a bad morning, who knows? Yeah. Um. So so kind of just allowing that grace. So well, I was just gonna say, it's interesting, you, you bring up that point about, you know, considering where the other person is coming from, because this is, this is also super fresh. Uh, in fact, I, I just had a conversation with my girlfriend last night. It's kind of actually ongoing and and, in a positive way, certainly, but uh, we were, I I let a particular situation get to me uh, because, and and I guess ultimately I took it personally when the reality was that situation wasn't kind of aimed at me, you know, aimed to make me feel bad or to make me be offended or whatever it might be. It wasn't it wasn't directed toward me, but I, because of my experience and to our earlier conversation, the way that I framed it, I took it personally and, and took offense and it really didn't need to happen. You know, had I mm-hmm. maintained a certain level of, of objectivity, put myself into your point, Shanae, put, put myself in that person's shoes, there was really no need for me to get carried away emotionally with it and kind of make it about me. The reality is that that person is dealing with something uh, in the way that they best see fit because of their experience. And and it's, it gets really just could be as simple as that. Mm-hmm. So again, it goes back to the idea of setting ego aside, not making it about me, thinking and, and being empathetic 
and uh, and ultimately framing it in a way that that is proactive. And, and I ha- actually have a set of values that I've got listed on my my phone here right in front of me on the lock screen that that I try to live by. And one of those is the word proactive. Uh, I know that if I go into that reactive state where I'm letting my emotions take me away, that that just is a a downward spiral. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's not about being robotic. In fact, I think we, we miss out on the experience of life if we don't allow ourselves to feel. But it's it's how long we get allow ourselves to kind of get stuck there, feel the thing. It's real. But okay, now what? And and right. we have the opportunity to move forward. Right, exactly. Now, are, are would you consider yourself an empath? Not naturally, no, no. I mean, honestly, okay. it's been something that I that I've had to again something that I've had to, to work at, particularly in the last, uh, I would say, you know, eight, nine years, ten years or so. I that I was in a relationship with somebody who. Uh, really kind of brought to actually multiple people, multiple people that I've, I've had relationships with that, that really brought the significance, the importance of empathy to light. It, it hmm. wasn't my natural tendency. And so again, I was faced with that challenge of accepting that, that the reality of that need to, to shift to my mindset and to become more empathetic. And we actually have in, in our house on posted on the refrigerator, a, a list of what 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 I what we termed the rules for life, the whole Ritz rules for life, and uh, and one of those has to do with empathy. Show empathy uh, because I realized I needed to work on it. I wanted my kids to learn it too, and so we put this list together. Oh, it's been something like eight years ago or so, and uh, that's certainly one of the things that that I want to work at, get better at, and certainly have encouraged my kids to do so as well. That's wonderful. And I ask because it, it, it sometimes you sound uh, like an empath, you know, that you are very conscientious of other people's feelings. And, you know, that's the pro side that you can read into and sense feelings and, and all of that. And then the other side of it is um, there's this sensitivity. And sometimes that sensitivity can cause empaths to take things personal when it when it's not necessarily personal. Yeah, it's a weird thing. And maybe you've experienced this, Shanae. I'm curious to get your take on this. Like the, when I, th- I think that I am reading somebody else well, if I, if I kind of average my experiences over the years, I, I think I would, I would venture that I'm probably, we'll call it 75, 80% of the time, I'm relatively accurate in my reading of someone else's emotions, what's actually going on there. Um, I think when that person pushes back in many cases they're doing so you know defensively or egotistically or otherwise and and so once the the whole thing works itself out i'm like oh okay so i I wasn't so far off maybe i could have handled (laughs) the situation a little bit better in that moment um i think i can read people pretty well but i i've also again had to continue to work at making sure that i that i'm not projecting my own issues onto the situation because that gets really messy when we do that yes i i I concur in terms of my my the way I personally handle things too. I uh, you know I can be sensitive. I can be a, a great empath, um, and I also have always claimed that I'm a good reader of people. You know, I'm I'm definitely, and we talked about this before in terms of just like sensing energy mm-hmm. and and all of that. And I do think that's a real thing. And just yeah. you know, I I try to. When I was younger, I was a chameleon. And so I Mm. played to the room and Mm -hmm. I played to what the energy was Mm -hmm. of that person. But that's exhausting. That becomes so 
exhausting. And so I've had to learn as I matured, you know, into my old age now, I'm not that old, but you know, still, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but learning over the years of how, how to be present in myself consistently. And that sounds so weird having to be myself consistently um, and not having to cater to everyone else to make everyone else feel comfortable. That's what I was good at. I'm good at making other people feel comfortable, which I would like to do, but that came at a cost of me being exhausted. And that also goes into being an introvert and, and all that sort of thing. I'm so glad that you had, that's really cool. Cause I was actually going to go there. I, I think this, this is something I, and I've honestly been trying to carry this message through the podcast that the idea of introversion and extroversion has been just over, I guess in some ways oversimplified in other ways, overcomplicated because I, mm. I think that those tendencies uh, and, and just to share a very quick personal experience. So I, I would have categorized myself years ago as an introvert what would happen is I'd go to these get togethers, you know, let's call it WPPI, for example, I go to WPPI, mm-hmm. I'm there with photographers, certainly excited to connect with people. But I go into a big room um, with you know, 100, 200 photographers crammed in there, loud music. And, and that's not kind of naturally my, my energy. And I would go in there for a short amount of time. And, and the stereotypical thing that you hear as an introvert would happen, which is I go in there, I feel exhausted, I have to walk out, catch my breath, have a little bit of quiet, go back in, repeat the process. <laughs> what I realized, and, and I, again, being careful not to project, I know this isn't going to be the case for everybody, but I, I think that there is some significance to this. What I realized was that I was trying to be something, to your point, Sinead, to accommodate, to, to be the chameleon. I was trying to be something that that wasn't, and I hesitate to say it wasn't me because I, we have the ability to kind of shift and change and and, and mold over over time. But uh, I was trying to be cool, for lack of a better expression. I was trying to be a particular person that I thought might cater to the crowd versus just being good at what I'm good at. And what that is for me is individual conversation that has depth. I'm I'm not an entertainer. I'm not a comedian. Uh, I'm not one that's going to hold the attention to the room, you know, with with great jokes. Uh, and small talk, I'd like to sit down and have individual conversation with somebody that, that goes somewhere. And yes. so once I stopped trying to be something else and just just went where I was not only comfortable, but went where I had strengths, abilities in this conversation, it was it was really surprising and yet empowering in that I go into a loud room, there's loud music playing. It used to annoy me and frustrate me, and I'm, I'm trying to compete with it and, and you know, make a really good impression and look cool and be cool. Instead of that, now I'm going in, I'm finding somebody that I can sit and have individual conversation with, and suddenly the, the volume of the room kind of quiets, and, and I'm really able to be there and be present and feel comfortable. It, and suddenly this notion of being, me being an introvert just goes out the door because I've shifted my psychology. It's a psychology that for most of us, I think, is developed over time, largely via experience, that we have the ability to shift um, if we understand where it's coming from. And so I, I, I realized why I felt exhausted. I changed my behavior and that's now enabled me to, to kind of step out and, and to be comfortable in those experiences in those situations. It's empowering the realization. It's empowering the realization because you can take action yeah. on it yeah. and, and just truly show up and give yourself permission to show up as you. And that can also uh, relate to business in terms of like, oh, you know, I'm trying to be this newborn photographer, but hey, that's not my thing. Then do the thing that's you. 
that's it, you know, and give yourself permission to do so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, there's, there's part of me that would push back and that like, okay, I, I don't want to be a newborn photographer. That's not quote me. Why is that not me? I think most of these things where we say this is me or this is not me, what we're talking about is we're comfortable in that particular scenario or we're not comfortable in that particular scenario, which then for me begs the question, why? Why am I not comfortable? Why am I comfortable? And then I understand the psychology and I can, again, shift that uh, mm-hmm. if, if there is a need to do so. Simultaneously, I also realize like we don't have to always go the path the path of most resistance, right? There, are, we we can kind of follow our our strengths, our tendencies, our interests, and as need be, make some changes to those. But what I tend to push back in all of this is this notion that I am fill in the blank. I am this enneagram type. I am this personality type. I am introvert. I am extrovert. That's way too simplistic, and I think kind of reactive in nature because we're just saying. You know, this is kind of what the universe has put on me. This is the thing that I right. am, period. Full, no, I get where you're going with this. I get where you're going with this because, you know, I, I used to write a lot of uh, screenplays, narrative screenplays. And, you know, one of the keys to creating a great character is layering them. You know, mm. it, it's not about this uh, polarity. You know, yeah. we are not all one thing. And I think that's kind of what you're speaking to. And so, you know, when, when I'm talking about like, hey, if you're not a newborn photographer, then you're not, you know, so so that's more along, you know, just in terms with choice and just owning, um, you know, maybe some of what your interests are and standing strong in that. Yeah. But I agree with you in terms of we do get very happy. I don't know if this is an American thing or a Western civilization thing. I don't know. I don't know if this is just, you know, the times we're living in, but sure. we do get really, really excited about these Maybe excited is not the word, but about these labels. I am this. I am this. I am this. And then you find yourself confined Mm -hmm. by these, just these adjectives, Mm -hmm. these nouns of what you are. Well, I I think it gives us a certain level of comfort, right? We're we're trying to, uh, you know, another phrase that that honestly bothers me is I'm trying to find myself, right? So people are, quote, (laughs) trying to find themselves. And then they, they're like, oh, here's an Enneagram test and I'll take this. And, oh, this is who I am. Or here's a personality test that I, I take this. And, oh, now I make sense to myself. You know, I, oh, am, isn't that I am this thing. And, and I, I just think there's, that's a misnomer that this idea that we're going to find this, this, you know, nebulous thing called us out there at some point, And we're going to, right. And then the light shines and, oh, yeah. I get it now. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that we're selling ourselves short. When we subscribe to that mentality, yes, there is some significance to the personality types to the Enneagram types because it it's it well at the very least it represents behavioral patterns mm-hmm. and and recognizing those developing a certain level of self awareness via those tests or those types that can be helpful. But to then stop there and say I am this thing, so this is who I am, and this is how I'm going to behave, and you need to understand my personality type so you can figure out how yours matches with that. Like that's that that's right. so egotistical and, and reactive in nature. We have the ability to frame the situation and ultimately be the person that we want to be if we understand the psychology underlying that. And and I think that's way more empowering than this just simplistic notion of this is who I am. Right, right. You know what? I've always had pushback against these personality tests. You know, I while I've and I've taken them, I've taken the Enneagram, sure. and while I take it, I'm I'm just thinking, I'm like I just, I mean, I'm not just all of this. And so I, how do you feel when you take those tests? 
Have you taken the Enneagram, for instance? I, I, I haven't yet. Maybe I did a really simple version of the Enneagram. I, I've taken at least one or two personality tests or types. And and yeah, I've, I just have a tendency of pushing back on them because I think the, right. the, you know, our, and our industry really gravitated to these things too. And you, you'll see them even listed in profiles, you know, social media profiles or this kind of thing. <laughs> yes. and, and, and I understand, again, I understand the significance of, okay, if this person is an Enneagram, Enneagram type, whatever, or personality type this, then I understand their behavioral tendencies. And so I can engage accordingly. That's wonderful. But I just, the idea that I kind of put myself in that box and this, and and suggest that this is the person I am and going to be, I think is super limiting. And it takes away the responsibility that we have to adjust our behavior to ultimately be, continue to become a better version, not even a version of ourselves, just a better person, period, as we continue to develop more self-awareness. So I, I, that's way more empowering in the end, certainly, but it also plays to the idea that I think we need to take responsibility for ourselves rather than, you know, putting it out there to the universe or on somebody else or some experience and then just gravitating toward or embracing this, this very limited notion of a personality by, you know, saying I am this thing. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. Sure. You're a pretty busy guy, I'd imagine. So can you walk us through a typical week in your life? Hmm. Yeah. That, and it kind of, it varies a little bit, but as a general rule, my day is, it starts with a workout. Uh, I like to get started in the morning with a workout. It's, it's invigorating. I also know that if, if I don't, uh, if I don't do it in the morning, you know, there's a, a likelihood or a possibility that later in the day it gets pushed aside for this reason or that. So I love to start a day with a workout, then a bit of reading, catching up on some industry news, tech news, uh, as it relates to what I do, a little bit of reading of whatever book that I'm in at the moment, a review of the values that that I mentioned earlier, um, just so I'm kind of staying on point. And then um, first thing in the morning, I, I trade in the marketplace, a day trade in the marketplace. This has been a a skill set that I've been uh, just just begun learning wow. and continuing to learn. Uh, but you know, the market opens at 930. So I have kind of a, a prep, a lead up to that. Um, Ideally, on, on, on good days, I can, I mean, I can even make my daily goal, you know, within just a, a matter of minutes. Nice. Um, but that, that is kind of the first thing that I do with my so-called work day. And I, and I, I developed that just because, you know, COVID hit and I was fortunate enough to be in a, in a good place financially already, but I also wanted to um, ultimately to, to have a kind of a plan B in place, if you will, or maybe a plan D or E, because I have other plans as well. But that that was something that I wanted to develop. I saw the potential there, and I love it because for multiple reasons, but partially because it is something that I can do in a relatively short amount of time, um, and it doesn't have to eat into or affect my um, my work with Photographer's Edit, with the Boca Podcast, with Milu. We're getting ready to launch another brand as well. There's a lot going on there, and and yet I can still do both if I'm managing it well. So uh, that's kind of that's I start with that. Wow. And, and then, and then, you know, the rest of the day is, uh, as I mentioned, photographers edit the book of podcasts, Milu. Um, I'm going to likely have some tasks on my list that I need to attack. Um, my, certainly my goal is to focus on those tasks that are most proactive in nature, things that are actually moving my business forward, moving my company forward. And, uh, communication tends to fall then later into the day, two, three o'clock, let's say is, um, when, I would likely open my email, respond to email as necessary, and 
that's that's kind of the gist of it, honestly. It's that that's what mm-hmm. my day looks like. And certainly I have team meetings, meetings with developers, meetings with well, just people various people on my team. It's relatively large when we look at the the whole picture. Um those will happen kind of sprinkled here and there through the day or through the week. Um uh, but that's that's the gist of it. Do you ever get burned out? Hmm. Yes. Absolutely. But I, I'm lucky enough that I have a really wonderful team around me. So I if I have to pull back or I need to take a little bit of a break. Um, I can do that. And, and I'm just super, super lucky that I've got a team backing me up. But I, I've also kind of figured out a, a lifestyle over the years that enables me to get things done. But again, you know, to our earlier conversation, I have to work 60, 80 hours a week. I can, I can get it done in a, in a relatively short amount of time. I'm still working at finding kind of the best balance, even innate to that. You know, for, for the longest, when I started Photographers Edit, the goal was to create a company that would ultimately generate passive income for me as in I didn't have to be in it all the time in order to generate a living or generate right. income. And I ultimately achieved that where I was working an average of probably about three hours a day as, as again, I was lucky enough to have a wonderful team that was carrying out, that was taking care of customer service and that was certainly doing all of production for photographers edit. Uh, but in hindsight, uh, I wish that I'd had a little bit more balance there. I mean, if I'd put in five hours a day, you know, 15, 20 hours a week, let's, let's say, um, then where would my company be now, you know, 12 right. years later. So finding a little bit better balance there, making sure I'm not beating myself up if, if, if you know, I'm getting to feel like oh, I didn't get enough done or didn't get enough hours in, but simultaneously making sure that I'm consistent, I'm showing up, I'm getting things done that are important. And that's, that's an ongoing process of, refining my time management and and certainly showing up consistently. Right. Now, once upon a time, you know, you were a wedding photographer. Yes. What what made you stop your wedding photography business? I was a little bored. Um, <laughs> it's part of it, but and and I to be clear, I, I like wedding photography still. Uh, in fact, I'm I've in the, the relatively slow process because of all the different things going on, but uh, of actually starting that brand back up as well. So that's that's yet another thing. Um, but I I wanted to create more freedom, more flexibility for myself than I already had. It was it was nice enough as it was, but um, I wanted even more freedom, more flexibility. So. I saw an opportunity in the industry at the time to start an editing company. There was a genuine need there. There was a business opportunity there, but I also, as a result, wanted to create something that would give me more freedom um, than I even had as a, as a wedding photographer. Right. Okay. And you, you mentioned it, you know, you have the photographer said it, you have Milu, you have Boca podcast, and yet you are launching a new business again. Can you tell us about, can you tell us? Can you tell us and why? <laughs> tell it, us, tell us, tell us. It's, it, it, I, I actually have to keep it under wraps still. Oh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping maybe even close to the time that this episode is coming out. Um, if you go to NathanHolritz.com, you may see another link. Right now, I've you know, linked to the various brands that I'm involved with, but um, you may see another link there at, at, at the, the time that this episode is released. We're, at the moment, we're keeping things under wraps. I just had a uh, a meeting with uh, two meetings actually related to the development process for that project this morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm hoping that cer- sometime in March that we're able to at least do a soft launch and, uh, and then we'll go from there. Okay. So stay tuned. Stay That's the bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> and we're actually kind of relaunching Milu too. Milu was a project that we started uh, pre COVID and when COVID hit, we were funding it um, the, the funds that, that we were, that, that we were using for the development of that project dried up. So 
we had to take a step back and now we're back at it and we're actually at a really cool place. And for anybody that doesn't know, Milu very simply is just a, a, a really great way to manage uh, a simple way to manage timelines and shot lists for your clients' events. And we're at a really good place right now with the iOS app. And mm-hmm. um, we're, we're wow. finishing up some some refinements for the website as well. So for those who don't have an iPhone, they'll be able to access uh, the interface via the web app as well. But certainly in the long term, we want to do an Android app. And then there's actually a whole additional brand associated with the work that we're doing with Milu that I, that I want to launch, which assuming we have the opportunity to do that will be the biggest brand yet. It's I'm really excited about the possibilities there, but uh, anyway, lots going on. <laughs> but so how do you keep it all straight? How do you keep all of this organized? I'm working on it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, it, it's gotten a little bit crazy. Um, again, I, ha- I can't emphasize enough. My team is is so, so wonderful and so gracious with me. My I, I, memory is not a strength of mine. And, so I do rely on my team heavily, but I also use Evernote um, when it comes to organization. Evernote as a as an information management tool. I've got over fifteen thousand documents in Evernote. I've been using it now for I think over ten years, and wow. so that is a that's a really really helpful tool. And it and I've it's highly organized as well into gobs of folders and documents, and I have templates that I use for. You know, for example, Boca podcast interviews, and and if, if I have a meeting, for example, I was on on the phone this morning, and I I go in, I create a new note, I hit the template, the, uh, the meeting notes template pops up, I apply that, and I'm able to take notes, and now I can go back and reference. Oh, what did we talk about in that meeting? Or so and so said this thing, or what? These are the next steps, the next actions that we established from that meeting. It all goes into Evernote. So between Evernote and then my task and project management system, I use Todoist. And right. I, I use that in conjunction with my team. Those that enables me to at least half decently function <laughs> as a <laughs> in a managerial role. Well, I, I love hearing about you know systems that people have set up because uh, I'm, I'm big into organization myself. So, so how would you rate Todoist? This this uh, I I have not tried Todoist yet. I have tried Evernote, but that was years ago. And so you're talking about these templates. I was just like, huh, maybe I ought to look into uh, Evernote again. But how do you, how do you find Todoist? Well, I use Evernote just for information. Uh, and imagine mm-hmm. it almost being like my own Google, right? Because I have everything in there from, I mean, if, if I just pull it up right now as we're talking and I look at the, the folders, um, you know, everything from documents associated with the cars and motorcycles that I've owned um, to, you know, financial information to, I mean, I've got a folder here called business ideas, for example, contracts over the years, whether, you know, associated with my various businesses, uh, design, um, uh, you know, entrepreneurship email. I mean, th- there's so many different categories that I've, that I've set up in here. And then I can put, if, if I s- find an interesting, uh, article online that that's relevant to what I do or that I find interesting might be helpful in the future, I can save that into Evernote in that. And again, it acts as kind of my own personal Google, in addition to the documents um, that I save, the notes that I take. So that's what I'm using Evernote for. Todoist is that project and task manager. And, and the reason that I use that versus others um, is the the simple, very, very clean interface. Um, it enables me to uh, to implement, and man, it's been so long since I even looked at it, but the, <laughs> what is it called? I'm gonna have to look this up while we're talking. Anyway, it's a particular style of, of task management. Mm-hmm. And task and project management, it has some of that functionality built in. And so it enables me to to be able to do that. David Allen, what was the book that he wrote? Have you ever heard of David Allen? 
And I haven't. David Allen. I'm just going to pull this up really quick. Getting things done. I've I sh- heard of that though. Yes. yes. I've heard of the yes. And I should know better because I, I preached the, the philosophy behind that for, for some time, but it's, it, it's a really powerful book. Honestly, it, it gets deep in the weeds when it comes to talking about task and project and management. It, you know, if, if you want to really nerd out, geek out, that's the book for you. Um, Excellent. But they're, they're, the principles therein are actually quite powerful. And uh, I implemented, began implementing those years ago. And then I was trying to find kind of the ideal task and project management system. And some software ends up being so complicated. There's so many moving parts that it kind of gets in the way of just simply, quote, getting things done, right? So Todoist is is a nice balance of it. Super clean interface, not overly complicated um, number of features and options. And so you can get in there. It's, it's easy to create tasks, you can create projects, and, um, and you can also collaborate with others, which is super important. And so I've, I've been using that now myself, along with my team for years. Well, 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 we got some tips here, how to stay organized here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to switch directions one more time. Sure. What gets you choked up? What gets you emotional? My kids. Um. And, and then uh, connection, connection. I, I, I like to feel connection. So, you know, and, and as it relates to my kids, I, I, there's a certain experience as a parent that I want to create for my kids. That's, it's an ongoing effort, honestly. I mean, my, my son left for college not very long ago, and it's kind of weird to be in this place where now I get to be the, the parent of a, a college student simultaneously. I'm, a parent of a, a sophomore uh, in high school, Addison, and it's it's actually been a really cool opportunity to kind of step up my game, my relationship with with Addison, and and really working at dialing that in and, and doing a better job as, as a father with Addison. And and um, I had you know Austin's personality type; he and I kind of just naturally gelled. And um, Addison's personality type is is quite different than mine. So, you know, we go back to the idea of kind of keeping an open mind and learning how to be more empathetic and learning how to understand or learning to communicate better in the context of a different personality type. And at the end of the day, the most important thing, of course, making sure that she feels loved and cared for uh, above all else. So it's it is an ongoing learning curve. Um, but that they, they're the number one thing that, that gets me choked up. And at the end of the day, I mentioned connection. I, I just want, I so desperately want to connect with others. Um, that, that's what brings the feels for me. And, and so if I know that I've made an impact in somebody else's life and they, they feel a connection with me as a result, uh, that, that really gets to me too. Mm. That's that's so nice to hear, and I'm, I'm sure your uh, your kids would would love to hear that too. If they don't hear it from you on a regular basis, that's really beautiful. Thank you. Ten years from now, where are you? What are you up to? Hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a big question. You know, honestly, if if I were just kind of kind of pick the direction, it would I would end up, or the place that I would be, it would be uh, I I had had a wonderful run with my companies, sold them or sold one or two of them anyway, and was able to move on, get my psychology degree and have a, a counseling practice, um, where I, I, 
Yeah, where I had a it was had the opportunity to be able to work individually with clients in an office, uh, maybe in a in a small you know quieter town, and and then also teach and 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 speak. And again, it's just about making impact. So be able to to help others. I actually have a podcast project that I started some time ago um, that I'm I'm hoping to kind of relaunch, restart, and actually do so with. My daughter, we've been talking about the idea of working on this project together, which, you know, a way to, to connect, to work together, that she might be able to make a little bit of money as well, um, called a love portrait. And, you know, relationships, as, as you've heard today, are kind of everything to me. And so uh, what I thought I would do is go ahead and start a podcast. I may not be a therapist yet, but at the very least, I can explore what makes a happy relationship. Mm. And so th- that's the, at the root of this podcast, A Love Portrait. And we released, uh, I think we've got four or five episodes and, and then I had to pull back. It was just, it was trying to juggle so many things and it was just, it felt like a bit too much, but Mm -hmm. I'm hoping to be able to relaunch that. That would give me an outlet to, at the very least, kind of explore the idea of happy relationships, you know, personal, professional, romantic, friends, family, or, or whatever it might be, but explore what makes the happy relationship for all kinds of people, uh, and all kinds of contexts. And as a result, certainly grow personally, but then also be able to, to help others uh, via that podcast until I, I have some type of a, a degree behind my name. <laughs> wow. Now, this, these are fun facts to know. Did not know that at all. That's, that's really, really interesting. How cool. And I think the podcast would be just a great addition, you know, um, for whenever you are able to open up your own practice. Well, it's it's become. I mean, as as everybody knows, it's a super popular uh, format, and a pop, popular platform at this point. I I don't want to kind of like we were talking about with blogging before. I don't want to, to to create another podcast, and it just gets kind of gets lost in the noise and lost in the mix. But to my knowledge, um, while there are certainly podcasts out there about relationships, I don't know of of any podcast that is has taken this approach and and um, and run with this type of format. Uh, and this kind of idea driving the conversation. And so I'm excited to do something that's a little bit different. And mm-hmm. ultimately, again, it's about, for me, adding value, helping others, and in this case, in an area that I'm especially interested in. Um, right. So we'll see. <laughs> what did you grow up aspiring to be in terms of profession? Hmm. Well, I, I mean, I, so first of all, I grew up in a missionary family, a uh, very mm-hmm. religious background that I come from. And I actually went to college and majored in Bible with a focus in youth ministry. And at the time, I thought I was going to go that direction, uh, potentially go back to, I grew up in Japan as a missionary's kid and spent about 10 years there. And I I thought I would maybe go back there Uh, or, you know, maybe work with a youth group here in the States, whatever. But um, long story short, uh, I, number one, I didn't go that route. I actually didn't finish college either. And to, to, and we can, we can go as deep as you want on this, but my, my belief system, uh, changed quite significantly. Mm. Uh, so I'm, I'm no longer part of the church or a religious, uh, I guess the religious world, if you will, but that was the direction that I was going originally. And, um, I think there was something, well, there were multiple reasons that I was going that direction, but, but, you know, at the very least I had quite a bit of, uh, influence in my life in that regard. And so. Uh, yeah, that that was originally what the plan was. You, you hear that a lot, though. Um, you, you know, those that um, have the intention, whether, you know, seminary school or, you know, something, and then something happens where it completely changes their path. And mm. and 
I don't know if if this is the phrase to use for you, but were you turned off to organized religion? What what happened there? Yeah, it, it, there are certainly many moving parts there. Um, I, if if I were to pick one thing to kind of sum it up, though, it was the uh, well that at least kind of was the initial primary impetus. It was guilt. Um, I, I, I dealt with quite a bit of guilt in my life for years and it, and it started honestly when I was quite a bit younger. Um, if, if I were to pick an age, probably around the age of 12 or 13 or so when it really started getting hardcore, uh, but it was, it was debilitating. And so psychologically I was just in a, I wasn't in a good place as a result. And, you know, when, when you, when you deal with that level of guilt and a guilt that's associated with potential punishment, either in real life uh, or in the figurative life, in the spiritual life, and the potential afterlife, uh, it, it's it's heavy. It's super heavy. So uh, that's the, the simple version of it. But that was kind of the the initial impetus. Nathan, you were talking about guilt. Now, is this figurative guilt? Was this guilt placed upon you? Um, if you care to expand on on the guilt you're referring to. Yeah, I, I I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, at least in this conversation. <laughs> uh, but you know, there there is it was very literal guilt in the sense that there was real life consequences associated with it, and so I, I dealt with that element. But then there is also the, the the spiritual element of it. Uh, I grew up in a, in a Baptist background, uh, independent fundamental Baptist background, and there is innate to that that belief system certainly a lot of guilt or certainly can be quite a bit of guilt as i mentioned you know a lot of part of that too was was just fear fear of punishment more immediate punishment fear of punishment and the afterlife and uh so this again this combination of fear and guilt was just overwhelming and I, it was just too much. It, it, and, and, and then it went from there. There were some other things that, that happened, but that was, that was the initial impetus. And, and I just couldn't, I couldn't continue to function in that way. Mm-hmm. You got yourself out of, out of this, this uh, entrapment of guilt though. Some people are paralyzed by that. And um, that can be very difficult to do, I would imagine. So I yeah. still, and I still deal with, with it to a point um, I, you know, my, my whole, uh, I guess the morality structure for me was built around a belief system. But for me as a, as a young kid, when, when you're brought up in a belief system, it, it is, it is reality, you know, whether, whether that thing can be proven or not, it is, it becomes mm-hmm. reality for you. And so it, it's deeply, deeply, deeply ingrained and trying to so when i when i don't have that specific uh religious sect and belief system as a uh set of guidelines or a guidepost um stepping outside of that and then trying to create a set of ethics within which i function is difficult in and of itself and then learning how to deal with the guilt associated with a past life and kind of creating the separation internally um, from uh, 
the the belief system that is causing that guilt uh, was was a challenge and and kind of still is a little bit. Uh, yet there's so many different moving parts there, and and um, I've largely been able to to kind of let that go. But it's it is I guess like many things in life, it's an ongoing process. Yeah, a process. Was photography cathartic for you? You know, if if I look back, it was maybe a, a sort of rebellion for me. Um, hmm. I, I was, and, and maybe that's overthinking it. But it, if I look back, you know, I was I was in the middle of going to college. Uh, I got married, uh, and, and my partner and I are no longer together. But I got married at, at uh, let's see, it was after my junior year, and um, so I was super young. I was twenty years old. I had no life experience, no perspective. Um, and I, I, I was on the path to getting this Bible degree and youth ministry degree and, and going on and doing something in ministry. And, um, I had the opportunity to, to get a camera, um, started taking some pictures with it. And my wife at the time put together a, a portfolio for me and somebody saw that portfolio and they recommended me to their friends, friends who were getting married, and uh, I had the opportunity to photograph their wedding. And it was it was kind of a snowball effect from there. It was like, oh, this is cool, and then oh, look at this really cool camera gear, and you know, this one thing led to the next. And I, I shot that one wedding, and actually, in the next year and a half or so, so I shot about fifteen weddings, and uh, and then the following full year shot about thirty weddings. So the business grew very very quickly, and it just kind of mm-hmm. happened. And I mean, I'm 20 too, you know, or 21 or whatever right. it was at the time. And, and so I'm maybe not being super intentional. I'm just kind of following whatever I'm, I'm interested in at the moment. Uh, but if I were to look back on it, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty significant break from the, the path that I was on. Uh, it was, it was a big break from kind of the expectation innate to our, our family as well. And, uh, and, you know, I was doing this thing that, that was so foreign to my family. Uh, it took a little bit of time, I think, for them to, to see it as a, as a legitimate profession. Um, or maybe they saw it as that, but, but you know, there was, there was just the stark contrast between kind of what was expected and, and what ended up happening, too. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting dynamic. But it, maybe, maybe it was a little bit of rebellion. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Very interesting there. Yeah. I'm glad that you found it because look at look at what, all the great things that you're doing today, you know, behind uh, finding photography. Well, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm not in, in so-called ministry, but if I can, if I could just help make people's lives better in one way or another, my, my kind of mission is to help save people time in this context. Of course, it's photographers specifically uh, and encourage happy relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can do that in, in a variety of ways. Right now, it's through you know having an editing company or developing Milu, which is ultimately going to enable photographers and coordinators to save time in the way that they manage timelines and shot lists. Uh, right. With the podcast, um, I'm, I'm teaching principles of time management, which helps photographers save time, which enables them to be able to focus on their relationships, which will hopefully improve those relationships the love portrait. And if, if I go into counseling, of course, that naturally feeds into the relationship concept. So uh, there are many different ways that we can ultimately meet those goals. But at the end of the day, ministry or not, I'm, I'm, I hope to make a difference in people's lives and just, you know, ultimately make, make their lives a little bit better. I, I think you are. <laughs> I definitely think you are. You've, you've helped plenty. I'll speak for myself. 
your podcast has been uh, quite valuable for me, you know, in, in my ventures here. I'm glad that's encouraging and, and it's humbling. And, and I'm just going to kind of try to keep doing better. I guess that's kind of the theme in my life. I, I, I want to keep, right. keep doing better. Right. So if you were interviewing yourself, what's one question you would ask? That's a really great question. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I honestly, I have, I have no idea. <laughs> so, all right, let's get to some easy, fun stuff then. Okay. What is your favorite food? It's a tie between ramen, Japanese style ramen noodles and, and sushi, like a really good sushi. Ah, okay. Do you have a favorite candy? Yes. Uh, Jelly Bellies has kind of traditionally been my favorite candy. I like I like a chewy fruit candy, although my, my taste for like just kind of straight processed sugar is, is fortunately is diminishing. Um, but I, I'd like chewy fruit candy. We actually used to put Jelly Bellies in the packages with the hard drives when, when we were shipping hard drives back and forth for photographers at it before yeah. <laughs> internet connection got, got as good as it has. Um, we used to include a little mini pack of Jelly Bellies with a hard drive, and it was just a fun little touch, something that we could do. I actually had the opportunity to to connect with the inventor of Jelly Belly, um, wow, some years ago, and and um, it, it was actually even trying to to help him as he was launching a, a new brand at the time. So that was kind of a fun little backstory. But yeah, that's that's if if I were to have to label a favorite, that would be it. Okay, uh, top music genres that you listen to. My favorite probably is soundtracks, soundtracks, orchestral soundtracks. Um, uh, so, what is soundtracks? Well, just soundtracks. Like if if you were to watch, um, oh, soundtracks. Yeah. Like oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's like, is this a new thing that I'm not up <laughs> on? <laughs> no, like it, my Spotify list. Um, one of the things that I that I'm playing pretty regularly is a Spotify list that anybody can find that's using Spotify. It's called Soundtracks for Studying. And um, I, I like the, I'm, I said I'm a highly emotional person. I like the emotion associated with that rich, sweeping orchestral sound, string orchestra, maybe a little bit of piano uh, mixed in. Um, I Talk about something that I get moved by or even emotional too. That, that's definitely it. So if I were to pick one genre, that would be it. I grew up playing music. So I played uh, piano. We were quote, required to take two years of piano and then and you could pick an instrument. So I played piano for a bit and then I ended up picking clarinet and played that up into college. Learned wow. to play the soprano saxophone uh, a bit as well. And um, we recently picked up a keyboard so my son can practice when he's home from college. He's a jazz saxophone major. And wow. so I'm, I'm hoping to maybe kind of pick piano back up a little bit. Hey, started a little family band. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, what's a hidden talent? But you revealed one. Do you have any other hidden talents? Um, I, I don't think too many. No, I mean, I played soccer into college. Uh, I wanted to go professional. And, and uh, at the end of the day, that, that didn't happen. But um, I've actually begun. I picked that back up recently as a 41-year-old. I'm playing in a, a rec, local rec league and kind of trying to get back into soccer shape. So that's been... That's been fun. I can juggle a soccer ball. I think the most, the longest that I ever juggled a soccer ball was for about 15 minutes straight and over wow. a thousand times. Uh, so if it hidden talent, maybe that's it. Wow. Do you have a favorite movie? Hmm. Uh, so yeah, Robin Williams and Matt Damon. I don't know why in the world the name is escaping me. I told you my memory is terrible. It's, um, it's, uh, 
goodness. Goodwill hunting. Thank you. My word, that's embarrassing. Yeah, it, tr- <laughs> truly. I, it was it was a movie that I watched. So I, I didn't grow up watching a whole lot of movies because of very strict environment, like religious environment that I lived in. Um, the, you know, we we watched Little House on the Prairie, for example, like that when we were in Japan. That was one of the American shows that we could get there in Japan, and so we watched that and you know, cartoon and um, Sesame Street and that kind of thing. I just didn't watch a lot of movies growing up, and I wasn't allowed to go to the movie theater. So um, I think the first movie that I saw in the theater was Titanic when that came out, mm-hmm. but. But yeah, Goodwill Hunting, man, you talk about emotional. Have you seen it? Oh, yes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, yes. Just emotionally rich mm-hmm. uh, character development and mm-hmm. super impactful. Yeah, that's. if I were to pick a favorite, that would be it. Right. And also, uh, I think it's so nice when you have these movies where there's this strong guide mentor figure mm. um, and you have the, the come up story. I yeah. kind of like to call them. Yeah. yeah. So Nathan, I mean, I know that we're getting close to uh, our time, but I really want to say how much I've appreciated learning about you, you know, the individual behind the Boca podcast. There's, there's lots and lots of layers to you. You're not one thing. You've done so many things. And like, just as we were going further and further in the conversation, I'm learning more and I'm learning more. And look, you play the piano, no, the saxophone, the clarinet. I mean, just like all these different things. You were in Japan for, I mean, just lots and lots of of, of layers to you, Nathan. And it's really exciting to hear about. Well, you're you're super generous, um, and and you just make the conversation easy. So thank you for being willing to do this. I, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Nathan, as you ask all of your guests, where can we find you? <laughs> well, the 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 uh, simple way to go is just go to Nathan and A T H A N Holritz H O L R I T Z dot com, and I've got easy links from there to the various brands that I'm associated with, including the one that by the time this episode airs might might have been launched. So you can Woo. go check that out. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, Nathan Holritz. I'm I'm still kind of trying to work out how. Uh, how often and how much to be in social media. I think at this point I'm, I'm getting ready to, to throw down and, and, um, and, and maybe even get on and be even more active. Uh, I, I was telling my, I think even my son just the other day, I was like, you know, if, if it weren't for my businesses, I don't, I don't think I'd be on social media, frankly. I'm, I'm a, I'm a bit of a minimalist and, and yeah. I'd rather have a conversation with somebody in person than, you know, stare at a phone and post to it. But I, I, I see the significance of sharing, uh, for multiple reasons and, um, you know, it's, it's easy to talk. It's another thing to do. And I, I want to make sure that I'm an example in that regard. Um, so at the very least, if, you know, if, if our listeners, um, those that, that see me in the industry speaking or speak, sharing, talking on the podcast, they're hearing me talk about all these things, but, um, it, it's easy for me to, to say it's another thing to actually do to be able to follow through on it and to ultimately prove those concepts. So it's part of the reason I'm actually starting the photography business back up uh, is to prove the concepts that, that I talk about on the podcast. I mean, I had experience as a photographer, um, another opportunity to kind of prove those concepts though, and to be able to share with listeners in that way. And, and, you know, the things that I'm doing with photographers edit uh, my, my passion for, uh, working out and, and ultimately being healthy and in good shape, even as somebody who's you know 41, uh, I, I share that as well. And again, I can talk about it, but it's another thing to do. So I, I, I like to post consistently about that. Anyway, 
I'm rambling. Nathan Holritz, you can follow me on Instagram and that stuff gets copied over to Facebook as well. You can find me on Facebook at Nathan Holritz. Cool. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.